I stared at the blinking cursor. Hadn't heard a word from Carla in three days. Every time I called her cell, it went straight to voicemail, and there was no answer at her house. With nothing left to work on at the office, I came home. Damn it, woman, where are you? I clicked on a file and opened up the document tentatively saved as Book 8 of the Bellamy series, with an idea rolling around in my head. But I felt distracted and kept checking my phone for messages. Finally, I decided I wasn't getting anywhere speculating about where Carla was. Maybe she just needed a breather. Maybe she remembered what she'd said outside the bar and was embarrassed. Maybe she was getting her hair and nails done. It didn't matter. Suddenly, it was important to get out the words that were starting to log jam in my head. I'd gone so long without that need, it was like a shot of adrenaline to feel it again. I already knew I'd be rewriting book eight over from page one. I often use writing as a way to figure things out, and there was something I hadn't been able to wrap my head around yet. I just shoved it out of the way for a while. Bellamy kicked in the door already knowing what he'd find. She was leaning against the wall, hunched over, her head lolling forward so that long wisps of greasy hair hung over her face. The room smelled of despair, stale cigarettes, a faint scent of urine, and the unmistakable scent of decomposition. He touched her wrist to confirm what he already knew and then slid the hair away from her face. Her nostrils were tinged a pale red. The telltale foam that occurs when an opiate overdose victim drowns in their own pulmonary fluids. It was different when it was someone you knew. Someone who lived across the hall for long enough that you got to know their schedule Rarely a sound from the apartment until nighttime when she'd escape her hole after sleeping all day. For only as long as it took to sell off parts of her soul in order to get the next fix. Her clomping steps up the echoing stairwell in the early hours as she made her way to the only part of her day that mattered. The part where she could disappear. Eventually... The living dead realize they're not really alive and haven't been for so long they can't muster up the memory of life. It's all white noise and pain, so they dissolve deeper and deeper until they get to the place they need to be, the place of silence. Sometimes the lure of nothingness is far greater than the strength of will it would require to hope. My cell phone rang and I answered immediately, hoping it was Carla. No such luck. Detective, are you trying to avoid me? Mercedes Sandoval had one of those deep, syrupy voices, which might have been sexy under any other circumstance. The fact that I knew she wasn't one of the good guys nipped any appeal in the bud. I was working, Miss Sandoval, 
I can't be at your beck and call 24 hours a day. Let me buy you a drink. I'm at the meanwhile right now. Looks like they had a bit of trouble here recently. A bit of fire damage. A little trouble? Well, that's a nice way of putting it. I'd sure hate to think someone who hired me would now be trying to fuck with me and my friends, Mercedes. Is that what you think? Well, at least now I know why you're being so surly. Come up here and give me 15 minutes of your time, detective. I think I deserve that much since I flew in just to meet you. She hung up before I could tell her exactly what I thought she deserved. So I took my time. Had a hot shower, a pre-meeting cocktail, went through my mail, and paid a few bills online. I wasn't that surprised when I walked into the meanwhile, an hour after my conversation with Mercedes, and found her disposition to be less than charming. The television over the bar was tuned in to the local 5 o'clock news, and it looked like Muggs was doing his best to stay away from her. He was at the far end of the bar, drying glasses, and making small talk with a few regulars. A blue tarp was nailed over the portion of the back wall that was burned, but the singed line across the wood floor remained. The portion of glass that was broken out of the front window had already been fixed, though the fresh pane looked jarringly clear of scratches compared to the surrounding ones. Muggs nodded and handed me a drink as Mercedes got up and took a seat in one of the small booths at the rear of the bar. I carried my drink back and joined her, opting to stay silent and let her make the first move. At this point, it felt like a game of chess, and I never liked being the first to slide a piece across the board. Since you reek of aftershave, I will give your flagrant tardiness a pass, but I don't appreciate being treated this way by someone in my employ. Maybe it was the word reek, or perhaps the phrase someone in my employ, but I immediately tuned out. That blue tarp on the back wall was pissing me off. It was my fault because Carla was an employee, therefore she was my responsibility. And Muggs ended up losing something he liked, even if it was an ugly painting of dogs playing poker. Detective, are you listening to me? Mercedes leaned across the table on her elbows. A crucifix hanging from a gold chain rocked away from her neck and swung back and forth between her decolletage. Her close-cropped curly hair shone under the light hanging above the booth, and she had one of those dark moles above her lip that actresses in the 20s and 30s used to pencil on. She was, without a doubt, a gorgeous glob of DNA wrapped around a bitter center of self-serving crap. Here's the bullet points. We found him. Now he's dead. He gave up no information about your missing doe. Just so you feel like you're getting your money's worth, I'll have Carla draft a memo to that effect and email it to you at her earliest possible convenience. I knew I was being unprofessional, but I didn't give a right fart, since it was clear she'd hired me under false pretenses. When she started to speak, I held up a hand to silence her. Let me make things perfectly clear, Mrs. Sandoval. 
You hired me to find money, you say, Lorenzo Rios, embezzled from the company you and he owned, along with Carringer. By the time I located Rios, which was a product of a kidnapping, by the way, he was a blathering psychopath. He'd have given Manson a run for his money. The guy was a gnarled freak show, spouting off words of Buddha-like wisdom. There wasn't any money in that shack he was holed up in, so I'm not sure how you think I'm supposed to find said money, given he's no longer in any position to do anything other than act as fertilizer. Her eyes scanned mine under dark, probably false eyelashes, and the aura around her shifted from purple to deep red. She was an angry person at her core, with starbursts of entitlement that shone like the inside of a blood orange. I think we both know who has that money, detective. She was playing her queen right off the bat, and that gave me a huge measure of satisfaction. And I think we both know this isn't about the money. She was just about to speak, her front teeth biting down on her lower lip, as if there were an F-word in the immediate vicinity, when I heard Muggs yell across the bar, Hey, Morneau. You might want to take a look at this. For a potential murderer, the tip that led deputies to a tragic scene. The sheriff's office says it has a person of interest in their death. Mercedes followed me to the bar and we turned our attention to the television, where a pre-recorded package was rolling clips from the Orlando media after the murder. Man, deputies are looking for tonight. The sheriff's office says it's issued a warrant for arrest for murder. It's disgusting. Um, the viewer was brought up to speed about the case. The fact that Lucy Rios, child and ex-husband, had been brutally murdered by Lorenzo Rios. Then, footage of cops giving a press report afterward, and shots taking outside the crime scene. A local Detroit anchor gave a quick summation of the case, the details of what police in the Everglades found, and shots of the shack as the bagged remains were being removed. Earlier today, human remains were discovered. Full forensic identification has not been completed to confirm 100%. This is an active and ongoing investigation, so we ask everyone maintain distance from law enforcement personnel and equipment for their own safety, as well as to protect the integrity of our work. Again, if you have any information, you can call police, you can remain anonymous, call 1-800-SPEAK-UP. Reporting live tonight in Detroit. When the anchor tossed to a live feed of Dell Simons, the Detroit Free Press reporter I'd promised an interview to was sitting across from Carla, who was dressed primly in a dark suit and pale pink shirt in what I recognized as her living room. I briefly wondered how Dell managed to get the on-air gig, but was mainly glad to have one less thing to worry about. At least I knew where Carla was. Dell asked her about the embezzled money and she nodded. I found some of it hidden in a duffel bag beneath my son's playhouse that was behind our home in Florida. I also located some old paperwork stored in the attic. I went through it to see what I could learn, and I hate to say it, Dell, but the money was siphoned from the proceeds of multiple government contracts that Uncle Sam understood from the get-go were shady at best, yet they didn't do anything about it. In fact, they encouraged Reevolve to seek more government contracts. As far as I'm concerned, that means they were complicit in everything that happened afterward so I didn't think they deserved to get that money back. Instead, I started handing it out to more deserving people. Shit. 
In the beginning, I made those anonymous cash donations out in the amount of $118,000.56. The camera cut to Dell. You're Detroit's secret Santa. Mm-hmm. Dell leaned forward and listened intently. Why the odd amount? Those are the last four digits of Lorenzo's social security number. It started as a way to lure him in. Use his tainted money to buy my freedom. I knew that if he was watching, he would recognize the number and he would come after me. That's what I wanted. The only way that I was going to ever be free of him is if he came out of the woodwork. And he did. I assume the two attempts on my life were his doing. Although the police will have to pull all that together. That's not my job. But I further assume that the feds will be trying to recover that money if they can. Unfortunately, it's gone. I only found a small portion, and I distributed all of it. If they are interested in chasing the paperwork, that's fine. Go ahead and sue me. We'll let the court of public opinion decide where that money was best spent. You've got the papers, Dell. Are the women at the homeless shelter down on Trumbull Street more deserving? Or should we give it back to the government? who seemed pretty happy to toss that money hand over fist at a contractor who was overcharging for FEMA trailers. Toxic FEMA trailers that are making people sick. I guess Washington thought on paper it would look like they were doing something besides sitting on their asses. But I'll leave that up to your viewing audience to decide. She played it brilliantly. She never planned on giving the money back on principle. That part was true. But she didn't know about the government contracts at the time she was tossing money overboard willy-nilly. She'd just been going on instinct. But it appeared that during her little hiatus from me, she'd come up with the best possible way to wrench her way out of the mess she was in with regard to the embezzled funds. The feds would probably pay her a visit, and after throwing a little scare into her, offer to drop any possible charges if she handed over the contracts. It was brilliant. And yet I still felt like smacking her. Mostly because she'd left me out of the loop. Again. Didn't trust me enough to tell me what she had planned. There was something uncontrolled about Carla. And that, coupled with the part of her she insisted on keeping inaccessible, is a dangerous combination for someone in my line of work. 